and blessed Sabbath. We are thrilled that you have decided to tune in and join us as we bring this quarter to a close. We conclude today by talking about the concept of ultimate rest, the rest that one can dream about when God descends and brings with him the new kingdom, a Jerusalem of conscience, one in which both ethnic, gender, cultural, and economic divisions fade away as we unite worshiping the Lamb. But before we talk about what it takes to partake in that great feast of the Lamb, can I invite you to pray with me? God, we want to thank you for your presence. We want to thank you for the promise of ultimate rest. We want to thank you for what you have done in our lives. But we would also plead with you that you continue to do something in the here and now, that you grant us the capacity to replace our anxiety with a confidence that comes knowing that you, that you will grant us the peace that we so deeply desire. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Rain in Southern California is a weird phenomenon. And you know this as we are still in the grasp of another drought. You know how the rain not only changes our landscape, but it also causes us to shift our behavior. I mean, think about the last time it really rained. And as the deluge came down, people seemingly forgot how to drive. I remember being at my house when the rain was pouring and stepping out and just mesmerized at the rhythmic sound of droplets descending on the ground. And as I swayed with the music that was created by pressure rising and descending in gallon after gallon of water, I thought about it. I thought about how desperate I am for moments of peace. There are moments when one can simply sway, sway to the tune that the world gives us as it calls us to breathe and rest. And then it happened. Almost as it started, the rain ceased and the clouds began to break and the sunshine began to show itself once again. Now in Southern California, we know quite a bit about sunshine. And so I looked at the sun, sleepy as it was. I looked at the clouds as they dissipated. I smelled the air and saw that that almost perpetual cloud of smog had disappeared. But my eyes could only gaze at the sun for the briefest of moments, its brightness and majestic light almost blinding me. And then I thought about the words in the book of Revelation, those penned by the sage on the island of Patmos, as he begins to think about rest. 
not just rest from the predation of Rome or the persecution of officials that would crush the new religion, but the rest that one can find in Christ. And think about what he writes as he begins to talk about this promise of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, which is where our lesson opens today. John writes, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. And so John gets this glimpse of what ultimate rest is going to look like, not by the cessation of activity, but by a reconsecration that the world now has pledged to Christ. But this isn't a new message. Think about what he is saying. He's saying, every eye will see him. He is coming in the clouds. And all the tribes will mourn because of him. And it almost seems like John is saying that in this moment, right before we experience ultimate rest, we will be, well, we will be heartbroken by what it costs God to, to deliver us the respite that we need. You know, our constant anxiety has almost made it impossible to recognize that both cross and resurrection, both Golgotha and empty tomb represent God's ultimate judgment upon this fallacious attempt that we humans make about finding rest on our own. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to his followers throughout the centuries, I've got this. You can rest in me. I wonder how much time we have spent then worrying. Maybe we've spent time worrying about what our ultimate lot will be as we prepare to receive the second coming. Or maybe we're, we are, have spent time attempting to get good enough. Maybe we've spent time worrying and fretting with our families about the plagues that are to befall us right before the end of Earth's history. Whatever it is that we have spent time upon, it seems like John wants to start this vision, this sight-blinding, brilliant vision by reminding us that every eye shall see and that when we see, we shall mourn, for it is at that moment that we will recognize how boundless God's love is. But again, as I said, this isn't a message that is new. It's one that has been inscripted in Scripture, grafted throughout the pages of every single passage in our holy book. Think about how Jesus introduces himself to the prophet at Patmos. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come. That ought to cause some echoes in your imagination. It ought to elicit memories Memories of a people, a people caught in Egypt, a people that can't experience rest, a people driven by the anxiety and the burden that is slavery. 
and the message of liberation comes and it breaks up the clouds. It's a message so bright that Moses can barely behold it before he has to turn away. And in turning away, he asks, he asks who the, he asks who the emissary of the message is and the response comes. I am the Lord, your God. I am who I am. Now, often, as both the Hebrew Bible talks about the name Yahweh, who is who he shall be, and the book of Revelation tells us that God is the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the idea is grounding the notion of eternity as it pertains to time. But that's not what Exodus and Revelation are pointing us to. See, God isn't eternal simply because he's always been there. God is eternal because he is connected to his creation. In other words, it's less about time and more about presence. You know, God comes into our arena, our existence, our life, our experiences, and he says, I am active. I am active because I am the God who shows up. And I know that maybe a lot of the times you and I are gripped by the idea that we will achieve rest at some point. You know, when the sickness is resolved, when the marriage is reconciled, when the friendships are restored, when the job becomes fulfilling. I know that we think about this idea of rest as it is connected to some circumstance, some temporal manifestation in our life. But what if what the author of Revelation is trying to tell us is that the real question that brings rest isn't when is God? But rather, will God show up? And the answer to that question throughout the 66 books of the Bible is a resounding yes. God is the God who shows up. He showed up in the past. He's showing up in our lives now. And hopefully, hopefully we, we shall behold him as he descends on the clouds of heaven. And so if God is the God who shows up, then well, then maybe, and just maybe, even though our lives aren't perfect, we can begin to experience ultimate rest here and now because God is experiencing life with us in the here and now. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in this book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And as God begins to deliver this message to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and by de facto to all churches throughout time, and as God reveals himself as the one who was, who is, and who is to come, and as God responds the question, who are you, with the answer, I am the one who shows up, fear begins to grip our heart. And I love the fact that the very first message that God delivers to the seer on Patmos 
is the message that he gives to Moses as the burning bush fails to be consumed. It's the message that he gives to Israel atop Mount Sinai. It's the message that he delivers to kings and prophets throughout Scripture. It's the message that Jesus shares with his pleading disciples. Do not be afraid. Fear ultimately is the primary force that drives anxiety. A therapist call, call it catastrophizing, the worry that something bad is bound to happen, that Murphy's Law indeed will hold true. It is fear of the unknown, fear of not being able to measure up, fear of failure, that is what drives anxiety. And so this God who shows up tells you today, do not be afraid. And in the notion and in your freedom from fear, you can find ultimate rest. Because regardless of the circumstances that you may be experiencing today, God calls you. God calls you to remember that I am the first and the last. I am the one who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And as you look at life from the depths of despair, from the dungeon of desperation, God says, I have the keys of Hades and death. It was several years ago. It was a summer, not unlike the one that just passed. And our family suffered a tragedy. I was getting ready to go to college. And people, friends, family, they showed up for us. Maybe you've showed up for somebody that is experiencing a tragedy. Or maybe you've had somebody show up for you. Isn't it powerful when they don't show up alone? when they show up with other people, when it's a community that shows up for you and they come bearing something. Maybe it's a food train. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's the promise of watching the kids so that you can get away. Showing up matters. But showing up with some tools that speak to our desperation is infinitely more effective. And here Jesus combats our ultimate fear of failure by saying, do not be afraid. I am showing up with the keys. With the keys that open every door in every dungeon that you might find yourself in. Ultimate rest is about having the capacity, my friend. Please have the capacity to give yourself over to the promise that regardless of how deep and desolate the pit that you find yourself in, this Jesus shows up and he shows up with solutions. Perhaps that's why John moves to the middle of his book with a passage that is familiar to us Adventists. 
In Revelation 14, verse 6, it says that he saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach on those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who has made heaven, earth, seas, and spring of water. You see, God shows up and he shows up bearing solutions. And as you begin to revel in the presence of this God, you recognize that his experience with you, his moment of this moment of connection with you is indeed good news. And that the good news ought to translate. It ought to translate into joy, into worship into recognizing that regardless of how restless our existence on this world may be, God is still in control. After all, he has made everything. That regardless of how persecuted we might be or how problematic our particular context may become, the good news is that Babylon has fallen. Notice that he's not taught that the author... uh, of the book of Revelation, as he talks about the three angels' message, doesn't talk about the fall of Babylon as something that will happen. Babylon has fallen. The system that drives you to move and constantly attempt to leverage that fear into action that that might relieve your anxiety has fallen. It has fallen. The drunkenness that comes with consumerism, with believing that the things you own will give you peace, or that exploitation leads to success, it has fallen. It has fallen to give way to to him, him who called us to take up our yoke and follow him. You can experience rest because God shows up. And he shows up with solutions. So, as you experience rest, and as you plead maybe in in problematic times that that rest might be ultimate, be patient. Endure. For here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. May that same Jesus give you peace. So, Joey, we finished our journey. Ultimate rest, ultimate peace. A quarter is over, and now we we reflect upon this interesting journey. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe the quarter is almost all the way over. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) It really does. Uh, I love how you began the the talk with... um, your memory of rain because rain always makes me introspective i don't know what it is about rain maybe it's the rhythmic sound it's the it's the muffling of all the excess noise mm-hmm. around you i don't know what it is but rain makes me introspective well it's it's i think the fact that we don't get much of it now and <laughs> yeah. so th- in southern california so it's it's that the fact that it's not something that happens within our daily life that makes us kind of pause um And I think that's where we find God, right? We find Mm. God and we find moments of peace and reflection in the unique. 
it is these unique experiences, I think, that that have the, the capacity, at least, to mitigate the anxiety that I'm sure we all have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you masterfully said, when we find God, we find rest because God is the source of our rest. Mm-hmm. I love how you put that, that um, rest doesn't come from the cessation of activity, but from the presence of God. That's so beautiful. That idea that God ultimately is the source of our rest. Yeah, I look, I that's why I think why I think I'd love to move us as we think about God into a more biblical mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, for the authors of the Bible, you know this well. The question is never, is there a God? Um, that's a question for the philosophers and maybe the the amateur or armchair theologians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question that the Bible asks is, when is God going to show up? And so I think it's not asking the question, where is God or when is God? But rather it's asking the question of ourselves. Am I ready to receive the presence of God that is already trying to tell me something? And I find that removes the anxiety that... Uh, that maybe swirls around us mm-hmm. as it focuses us, is it forces us to become focused on ourselves in connecting with that presence of God that is desperately trying to cut through the noise and, and tell us something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's, that's, is that connected to what you said about eternity, that the eternal nature of God is less about um, when and it's more about where it's more about his presence unpack that for us yeah so joey i mean we we human beings um are limited we're limited Mm. by time and space and so trying to connect with god based on in, in trying to connect with a god that is eternal that operates outside of time and space becomes it becomes an exercise of the mind that might be helpful if you're trying to write a paper or trying to explain something to a group of professors or students, but it doesn't really help you in the day-to-day living and attempting to quell the anxiety that is within you. So the question is, what? how do we best relate to God if we don't have the concepts of time and space um, in common? And that is, well, we relate to God through through his ontology, and that's just a fancy way of saying his being. Mm -hmm. And we can't begin to understand his being apart from our being. Mm. Uh, And so it's less about about these characteristics that God has that are inherent to God himself. Mm -hmm. And it becomes more about how am I experiencing in my being the presence of God's being? And so it's that, and we've talked about this a lot, right? It's that relational connection yeah. uh, through which I think we can learn the most about God. Yeah. So it's not that you're saying that God isn't eternal over time. It's just that you're saying that the most important aspect of his, his, his eternity for us is that he's always there, always present for us in our lives. Yeah, I think that's the easy that's a that's the easiest way to connect with God. Mm-hmm. Um, when we start talking about this uh, this transcendent being who exists outside of time, mm-hmm. uh, God ceases to become personal. Like mm-hmm. It kind of becomes uh, this otherworldly uh, creator whom we have difficulty relating to. 
So the idea is, how does this eternal being relate to me? And God tells Moses and God tells John, I relate to you because I show up. Mm. I'm outside of time, but I show up in the most timely manner. Yeah, I show up. And that's where this idea of the the alpha and omega becomes so personal. Mm. I love how in this um, in this study, it, it talked about the mindset of John as he as he received this vision. He's sitting on Patmos. Most of all of his um, fellow disciples, those closest to Jesus during his time on earth, they've all died. They've either been martyred or passed away. And he's alone, and the church is now facing persecution from the outside. They're facing heresies growing up in the inside, and and here he is, this this final remnant of of Jesus's closest followers. And there must be a little, must have been a little bit of discouragement for for him sitting there on that island before he receives this vision of of wondering. When are you going to come? When is this promise that you you gave to us when you left this earth that you'll come back in glory? When is that going to be fulfilled? And then he receives this this yeah. powerful vision. Yeah. And at the heart of that vision is, I'm here. Yeah. Now. Right now. Yeah. And I think that forces you to look at life differently. Mm. Um, I think it's it's. It's anxiety producing Mm. to look at what God has done or what God will do. Um, Because when you look at what God has done in scripture, you say, well, is God still operating like that in my life? Mm. And you and I, I'm sure, have heard people saying, if only God could work in that way in my life. Or we worry about what God will do, but then we say, well, how am I going to recognize what God is doing at mm-hmm. some point in the future? Am I good enough? Am I am I at peace with the, with this idea of God? And so there's, there's this, just this tinge of anxiety. I think what John is experiencing is that anxiety, right? Yeah. When are you going to come? Yes. And the way God relieves the anxiety is saying, I never left. <laughs> I'm right here. Wow. Um, And so I think I love this idea of ultimate rest um, that that we close this quarter with. I think ultimate rest is not something we're waiting for. It's something that we're called to experience Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. You know, when you say that, that phrase, I never left, reminds me of that poem, that famous poem of Footprints in the Sand Mm -hmm. of of how Jesus says to the man, the times that you only saw one set of footprints where it seemed like you were all alone, the hardest moments in, in your life, mm-hmm. it was then that I carried you, right? I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, wow, that's so powerful, yeah. yet so true. And that seems to be at the heart of the message of Revelation, because it's easy to think of Revelation as a future-oriented book. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is all the stuff that's going to happen in the future at the end of time. It's really not relevant to us now. But what you seem to be saying is the heart of the message of Revelation is not about the future. It's about Mm. the present, that God is present in the present. Yeah. Look at the language, right, that John uses. Um, So a lot of people say, well, John doesn't have a masterful use of Greek grammar, and that's why the language is written in the way it's written. 
that perhaps is part of it. Mm. But I think I think John's being very intentional mm. about telling us this is happening right now. Mm. And now is something that is relative, right? Yeah. It can be 2,000 years ago on an island. Mm -hmm. It can be uh, 160, 160 some odd years ago on a field in, I, in uh, New England, or it can be today in your house as you're as we're talking here on the Sabbath. Now is relative, but in Revelation seems to be saying now is literally now as you're reading it. And so this book isn't future oriented. Mm. It is living and dwelling and experiencing in the now because it is attempting to relieve the anxiety that is created by the unknown. Yeah. And the message that relieves that anxiety is today mm. God has already won. Wow. Babylon has fallen today, whatever that whatever Babylon might be for you in your particular context. Yeah. It's almost like this book floats along with the flow of history. Mm -hmm. And so it's always relevant to the moment, to whatever people, the people of God are going through mm -hmm. now. You know, that, that idea of Babylon, I loved how you expanded that because it, it can seem so theoretical, Babylon. I mean, Babylon is is nothing to us right now. Babylon is is some ancient history that we learn about during history class about Nebuchadnezzar or that we've seen in charts with beasts um, on them. But what you're saying is Babylon is really, it's counterfeit religion and philosophy and counterfeit rest. Mm -hmm. That it's, it's all the theories that say, this is how you receive rest. This is how you, you receive peace and joy and, and all these things that we're longing for. Babylon is about the counterfeit ways to get that. Is that is that right? Am I reading well, it correctly? Well, I mean, think about the first time that the word itself makes an appearance in Scripture, right? Mm. Uh, it's in the book of Genesis. It's a bunch of people. And what are those people doing? Mm. They're working. Yeah. Because we've always believed that the way to relieve this anxiety of the unknown mm. is by doing more, right? <laughs> so We're, we are results oriented we are yeah. production driven and wow. so we try to create more we try to build more we try to uh, alleviate the fear of being forgotten by leaving a legacy behind and what that ends up doing is it confuses what is truly meaningful in life mm. and so god comes and says let us confuse uh, let us make a Babel, let us make a confusion of the languages so that these people might break apart from their task. And maybe if they break apart, um, they'll keep they'll stop chasing this idea of being remembered by mm -hmm. by building the work of their hands. And so life kind of goes on for a few millennia. And God reverses that in the book of Acts and says, okay, let's bring, let's bring all these people from Babel together mm. and let's reunite them under the spirit. And wow. let's see if now they will work not to leave a legacy of buildings behind, mm. but to leave a legacy that is very much in line with, with what John is talking about um, as as the people are going out and preaching and delivering this good news, right? Yeah. And then at the end of history, it seems like you have these two things, and I think you're absolutely right um, in, in noting that Babylon is nothing more than confused cult counterculture. Mm -hmm. 
And so, whereas Babylon says, might makes right, uh, the good news of the gospel tells us, whoever wants to be first must be last. Whereas Babylon says, the works of your hands matter in order to leave a legacy. Mm. Uh, The gospel says, those whom you live with matter and your legacy is in the lives you've altered positively and so you have these two forces competing and i think in the end what eliminates the anxiety is after we've spent some time in Mm self-reflection we realize that we don't want to live confused lives anymore we want to rest in the presence of god and resting in the presence of god means investing ourselves in others wow i love how you 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 shine a light on like the span of biblical history here you begin with the tower of babel which is the fracturing of humanity um, that god does intentionally because like you said um, their their best efforts and their focus is to create rest for themselves by working, by mm-hmm. relieving their anxiety, by leaving something for themselves, by making a mark that even God can't take away, um, which is ironic because God does take it away. And then and then um, and then God bringing them back together in the Book of Acts. So Acts is almost like the beginning of the reversal mm-hmm. of Babylon, but hopefully in a way that brings us to trust in God and rest in God mm-hmm. rather than resting in our own efforts and our own work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's and that's beautiful. that's the pl- that's the place that the church has. Mm-hmm. The church has this this call to relieve anxiety yeah. in a world that is driven by anxiety. And it is in that in that space that we are called to to exist. Um we were talking a bit last week uh as as we as we gathered uh as a team about what leadership means. Mm. And I know uh, Edwin Friedman, who Im- deeply impacted one of your professors at Fuller, mm-hmm. uh, defines leadership as the ability to remain separated from the anxiety work w- while com- continuing your commitment to connecting with people. Mm. And so I think that's, the, that's how we ought as a church to establish leadership in a society that is deeply reactive and driven by anxiety. We remove ourselves from that anxiety by offering an alternative to Babylon. But that removal doesn't mean that we disengage from society. It means that we, while we remove from the anxiety, we stay deeply connected with the communities that are anxious in order to provide them some rest. Which is the hardest thing to do, right? To be around anxious, really anxious people and not let their anxious anxiety become contagious to you, right? That is, that is so hard. Um, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we stay differentiated? How do we keep those boundaries where we aren't influenced by them and yet still are able to remain connected Mm. to them? Like I, I think of my children and when my children are feeling anxiety or they're feeling angry or frustrated, how do I help them stay engaged with them, but not allow their emotions to become my emotions? Mm. Yeah, so this idea of differentiation is all the rave now in, in leadership talk, right? Yeah. How do you become a differentiated leader? Yeah. Um, and not just individually, right, but communally and as institutions. I think the first thing is we must have a clear sense of identity and purpose. 
Um, there's a really interesting thing that happens, and I know we're in the middle of a medical campus. Mm. And so um, a lot of our conversation has to do with science. Well, what the immune system does uh, really is, uh, I thought, you know, years ago when thinking about immune responses, I used to think, oh, well, you know, your immune system is something that gets together. And if there's any foreign invaders, uh, it just it comes together and then it expels those. But that's not really what the immune system does. The, mm -hmm. the, the primary practice of a, of a healthy immune system is to recognize the self. Mm. And when there is something that is alternative to the self that invites the self, mm. then the, the self triggers this response. And so I think the first step in having this idea of, of differentiation, as you're talking about, is to have a clear and concise sense of self, mm. um, not just individually, but corporately. This is what we believe. Mm -hmm. And when something else because it's it's in our nature to be reactive yeah so when something else comes and threatens us i the idea would be that we have fostered a healthy immune response to those to those tumors as it as it were that drive and cause anxiety yeah. and so i think the that's for me at least that's where it starts the first yeah. step in being, so in being connected mm -hmm. uh, and yet remaining differentiated has to do with our idea of understanding both individually and corporately. This is who, are, who we are. Mm -hmm. We are driven by vision and we are uncompromising in our values. Yeah. So that when something comes that is foreign to who we are, then we are able to recognize it and say, no, this is not who we are. So we will not follow the course, Correct. this course. And, and, you know, the scripture is clear that that sense of identity, our identity comes from Christ, mm. comes from God, right? Which is full circle, brings us back to the fact that our rest is in Christ. Mm -hmm. Our rest is in God because God, the, the closer we are with God, the closer we are with who God is, the clear vision we have of who we are right. and what our identity is. And that keeps us from just being pulled by the course of history mm. and by the anxiety that surrounds mm -hmm. us in this world. Yeah, wow. that's brilliantly said. That's so powerful. Said. You know, Edwin Freeman also talks about this idea that um, that society is chronically anxious, mm -hmm. right? And when I first read that, I was like, what? Chronic anxiety? But the more I have lived after I read that and, and just observed life, I realized, yeah, there is so much anxiety in this world. There's a, so much, like you said, that anxiety comes from fear. There is just so much fear in this world. And yet scripture is, says that perfect love casts out mm -hmm. fear. And that perfect love comes from God. And so our anxiety, the being able to relieve the anxiety that most of us live with, or at least surrounded by day after day after day, it comes from God. It comes from trusting and resting in God, mm -hmm. which is what our whole quarter this quarter yeah. has been a part of yeah i mean joey uh, uh, right he he talks about friedman that is uh talks about the only possible antidote to this chronic anxiety is if systems and communities choose leaders who who don't who aren't fe uh, fearful mm -hmm. um who will who, who are not going to be reacted, who will not be taken hostage 
by kind of these forces that that cause anxiety who who will remain uh, sympathetic but will not allow talk of unity and consensus to ban them from taking steps that are needed in order to grow us. Yeah. Isn't that what Jesus does throughout, not only throughout his, mini, his earthly ministry, yeah. but as, as we think about the leader that we ought to pick for our lives, Jesus says, I am going to be part of that mess without actually allowing the mess to to impact me right in all things he was tempted yes. yet he did not sin so it's it's this wonderful example of how we we have the capacity now to choose some to choose a leader that is deeply connected with us while still remaining differentiated mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually re- remaining uh, vision driven enough to say, look, there's an alternative. Yeah. The 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 real options aren't between kind of this godless restlessness and this religious anxiousness. Yeah. There's another option. Yeah. And so, um, will will you dream about this this different path with me? Mm. And I think that's that's the call that the people of God need to respond to now it 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 needs uh it it, it, it's a call to attempt to see jesus beyond the facade of you know religious idealism or or dogmatic systems and and to just see how jesus led and how jesus was constantly about setting before us a new alternative a new way that said well why can't it be like this Mm -hmm. why can't we have a world where there is no free or or slave, no male or female, no Jew or Gentile. Why can't we have that world? And so I think that's the question we've believed now, or we've started to believe that anxiety is anxiety is something we need to manage. Hmm. What if there's a world where anxiety isn't something that you manage? It's something that doesn't exist anymore. Wow! Wow! That would be incredible, right? A world where anxiety did not exist. Um, you know, you talking about Jesus just made me think, Jesus really is the perfect example of a differentiated person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at his life, people, everybody had expectations for him. Everybody had ideas of what he needed to do. There were constantly an- anxious people surrounding him. And yet he stayed so steadfast and true to his identity. He knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. And he didn't let the anxiety of the people or the expectations of the people surrounding him change that. And, uh, you know, in, in, this, in our rooted Sabbath school, the Sabbath school I lead for young professionals, we've been studying the journey that Jesus takes from um, Galilee to Jerusalem in the book of Mark, right? Um, be- on his final trip before he he dies. And this trip is unique because he's trying to reset his disciples' expectations throughout the trip. Mm-hmm. Three times he tells them what's what's mm-hmm. about to come, that he's gonna die, that there's he's gonna be tortured, that he's gonna he's gonna be crucified. And they don't every single time they misunderstand, they don't understand, they set, they try to push their expectations on Jesus, and Jesus remains connected to them but does not allow their expectations and their anxiety to rule his behavior and his beliefs and the way that he acts. And 
He does that, I think, because of his connection with God, mm -hmm. that steadfast relationship with God. The fact that he, it was his practice in early morning to go off and pray and to, to set his mind on God before his father, before every, everything, anybody else got to read, speak into his mind. He set his mind on him mm -hmm. and, and, and that allows Jesus to be this differentiated person, mm -hmm. despite all the expectations. And look at what happened with him as a differentiated leader. I mean, he says, right, uh, come unto me, all of the, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus has rest to give because he has understood how to attain rest. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with physicality or busy schedules. It has nothing to do with how much you do during a, during the day. I think... I think it's something, it has more to do with understanding that rest isn't just about activity. Mm -hmm. It's not just about it understanding a series of, of things and biochemical processes that, that, that drive you to exhaustion. I think rest truly is an emotional state, mm -hmm. the state of complete self-awareness where you are completely differentiated yet you have the capacity to remain sympathetic to yeah. others and jesus has that mm -hmm. i think because throughout throughout his earthly ministry as as you've as you've stated i think time and time again he allows himself to feel deeply for the people that he has come to minister to yeah. without allowing those feelings to make him a hostage. Mm. Um, and so a lot of the times I think that uh, one of, one of the things that I, that I plead as, as we think uh, about how to get rest is this idea that I uh, need to, take responsibility mm -hmm. for my emotional, spiritual uh, well-being. And that, yes, there's a lot of external circumstances that can make that ebb and flow, but ultimately mm -hmm. it's me. And so I think, I think that's the power that Jesus has, right? It's mm -hmm. it, Jesus has this capacity of always saying, it's me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the Jews. It's not the Romans. Yeah. It's not the disciples. It's me. Yeah. And um, if we can, we can begin that practice of taking responsibility and saying, I am ultimately responsible for my rest, mm. then schedules, busy projects, family functions, all that stuff isn't going to matter because we are actually responsible mm. for our rest. Yes. Instead of blaming things on the circumstances or blaming it on the people around us who are anxious, we just take responsibility for ourselves, knowing that the circumstances don't determine our state of mind. It is our, it is we, and especially our connection with God mm -hmm. that sets that. I love how you said um, that it's actually not the absence of activity, like you said in the beginning, it's not the cessation of activity that makes us engage in rest. It's the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of like that saying for, for um, courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, right? It's the, it's the presence of God, mm -hmm. right? So when God is with us, we can be at peace, we can be, have courage, and we can have 
rest. Yeah, and it's it's simplistic, but I think that that is ultimately the rhythm to a life that is meaningful, mm-hmm. a life that is fulfilling, and ultimately a life that is in tune with what God has preordained for us. It, it's a life in the now. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I'm, I can't wait to start living it. Me too. Won't you pray with for us? Good and gracious God, we want to thank you so much for being a God of rest. I mean, you ordained that from the very beginning. You put that into the flow of of creation, this idea that humans need to rest. And we ultimately find that rest in you. And ever since we've broken away from that pattern, we've been seeking that rest. We've been people who are restless. And yet what you've shown us throughout this quarter is that that kind of rest is still possible. It's still possible here. We don't have to wait to the future. We don't have to wait until you come again to receive that rest. It is available for us now because you are available to us now. Your presence is here. And so we ask that despite the circumstances we face or the the conflicts in our lives, that we can find rest by resting in you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, join us next time as we change rest for Deuteronomy and we begin what I am sure is going to be an exciting conversation centered around the book of Deuteronomy. So join us for our next season as we start a new quarterly. Joey and I wish you a happy Sabbath and go have go rest. Go rest. Thank you.